You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Heartland Politics show and podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois and eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and today's show will highlight the work of a very important congressional committee that I bet many of our listeners are unaware of. It's the most important committee you've never heard of, but you're going to learn more today. It is focused on one of the most critical issues facing our country now and in the future, and that is our relationship with China. This committee is called the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. Our Quad Cities region is fortunate to have representatives from both sides of the river on this committee, Ashley Henson from Iowa and two from Illinois. One's Darren LaHood from Central Illinois, and the other is my guest today. He's Raja Krishnamurthy, the ranking member of the committee, who represents the 8th Congressional District covering parts of Cook, DuPage, and Kane counties. Congressman Krishnamurthy, by the way, has downstate roots. He was raised in Peoria and attended Peoria Public Schools. He was first elected to Congress in 2016. Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time today. Hey, thank you so much for having me, my friend. Um, First of all, for our listeners, and again, I I doubt that many are aware of this committee yet, uh, but it's doing some important work. Can you kind of just give some background on when it was formed and what its mission is? Absolutely. It was formed in uh, about a year ago, uh, and the mission uh, was to assess the technical, technological, economic, and military risks associated with the competition between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party, also known as the CCP. And the idea was that we would both assess and then formulate recommendations to, um, to deal with those risks. Now, very interestingly, unlike most pieces of legislation, uh, this actually commanded the support of more than 375 people in Congress, which almost never happens. But it was a sign of the bipartisan concern about the nature of the competition between us and and China. Well, I, for one, am glad, very grateful uh, that uh, th- this committee is, is, uh, have been, has been formed. I've been checking out your website, and I'll uh, have you share that a little later, or I can, because I think it's important, and it is, as you said, one issue. The parties fight on everything anymore, uh, but this is one where most people agree. Uh, Congressman, I mean, it, it, and again, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming our listeners aren't aware of the work of the committee, but what are some examples that led you uh, – to, to, to I know the alarm that a lot of members of Congress have on both sides of the aisle, uh, and you mentioned some of the topical areas there. I've read about some of these as well, as far as just not living up to uh, the, the rules of trade agreements, blatant cheating, stealing intellectual property, spying. Could you go through some of the concerns you've had that led to your interest in this committee? The way I would look at it is there's three sets of risks, military technological and economic. Let me take the military for one second. Um, One of the most concerning behaviors on the part of the CCP is just they're throwing their elbows militarily, so to speak, in the South China Sea, over Taiwan, 
even with regard to their other neighbors like India, Japan, uh, and, and a whole host of other countries in the Indo-Pacific region. And, you know, what we know is that, you know, unless you adhere to, you know, peacefully resolving your differences with other nations, uh, you're going to potentially start a war. And so we're very concerned about that, first of all. Secondly, uh, I'm concerned about the economic aggression. And you went through some of the issues that people are concerned about, whether it's cyber hacking, intellectual property theft, the dumping of goods uh, beneath the cost uh, of, of even manufacturing them in a bid to basically drive out businesses from whole industries. And we see this all over the world, including in the United States. And that's very, very concerning. Um, and then finally, there's some technological issues too. Uh, you know, one of my concerns is with TikTok. Uh, I know that young people uh, love TikTok and I get it, um, but TikTok is owned by a company called ByteDance. And ByteDance uh, is a Chinese company, a PR, People's Republic of China company that's basically beholden to the CCP. Um, they, they basically uh, are able to manipulate the algorithm on TikTok as well as get access to the underlying data and they actually have done so repeatedly, and the, and the CCP is able to enlist them in doing so. This is a big concern. Now, I'm not saying we should ban TikTok. I, I, I'm not calling for that, but I think a, at least a sale of the company uh, to, a, uh, to another company that's not, based in, that's not beholden to an adversarial country seems to be in order. You know what concerns me, and I've, I've read this several times in recent years, where China still still has kind of the five-year plan, which we've all read about in civics class, uh, communist governments do, where they now they target certain industries. And I read those industries they're targeting, and those are the key industries of the future. I mean, artificial intelligence, um, you know, technology, uh, things that we should be focusing on as well, and their government has a big role. And it seems like we're always lost in this debate in the United States Congressman of whether government should be involved. And I think... The fact that our main adversary is doing so kind of uh, means we we need to take a, a targeted role with our government as well. I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts? I think that's right. Um, now, I'll, I'll just make two observations. One is that this state directed investment and allocation of capital, which totally goes against our you know our uh, understanding of how an economy should work in free in a free enterprise or capitalist system is now starting to backfire in China, as you can see from the various economic woes that they are facing. You know, one of the big problems that they have in China is that the, the, the government basically went on a massive um, housing and uh, kind of infrastructure investment binge over the last 30 years. Now, basically there's a property collapse, property value collapse. And the whole economy is tanking in different ways. And we can talk about that in more detail. But that was an inefficient allocation of capital. And it was state-directed. And it's come back to bite them. Um, now, on our side, um, I do think that some uh, U.S. government assistance in you know, making sure that certain supply chains come back to the United States, that we manufacture certain stuff here. Uh, and are not reliant on China or Chinese supply chains makes sense. Just as an example, 90% um, of 
90 plus percent of active pharmaceutical ingredients, including most of our antibiotics are sourced from China. Uh, 90 percent of critical minerals, all the stuff that's necessary to make everything from electric vehicle batteries to um, semiconductors, again, is sourced in China. Uh, semiconductors themselves are mainly produced in Southeast Asia. And so that's why, for instance, the Chips and Science Act makes sense. I think that the government on a bipartisan basis established a program to reshore uh, uh, the manufacturer of these semiconductors to make sure that, you know, we're not overly reliant or dependent on uh, overseas supply chains. Yeah, the, the Chips Act. I think the, uh, the didn't the Inflation Reduction Act have some subsidies as well, more in the energy field. So that yes, like this, yes. Uh, go, go ahead, please. Uh, so the Inflation Reduction Act actually had a bill which I co-authored with um, Dan Kildee of Michigan and John Ossoff of, of Georgia's uh, to basically onshore the manufacturing of renewable energy equipment in the United States including solar panels. Uh, most of the, of the solar panels in the world are now sourced from China. And we've been where our green future is somehow uh, kind of reliant on, you know, Chinese companies uh, providing their goods and services and, and making, a, you know, a big fortune off of it as well. Yeah, solar panels are one example, aren't they? Where where the, there was big demand going years back for for, uh, uh, for for manufacturing these, and they they just undercut the market because they can do so because uh, they don't have a, a you know a traditional capitalist system like we do. That's right. Uh, it, it goes back to that issue where they they like to overproduce stuff far beyond what their own economy demands then they export it and they dump it on foreign markets undercutting their competition and because it's state subsidized the companies that export this stuff can afford to do so and they end up killing off their competition and that's kind of been their model for 20 to 30 years and that's just not you know that's not something my constituents or illinoisans really tolerate Another topic I'm sure you can you can uh, give more details on that that I've I've seen examples of where our businesses have complained where they try to set up in China, assuming a level playing field, which is what trade agreements are about. And can you talk about some of the obstacles they face as far as what, what the what hurdles they have to go through, which are absolutely ridiculous that aren't even close to what we require of companies doing business here. That's exactly right. Uh, just to give you an example, an average company that locates in China, especially in the high-tech areas, is almost required to, to give access to its intellectual property. The way they structure it is they say, okay, you have to have a local partner. The local partner needs to have, you know, usually a majority share, but most importantly, they need to have uh, access to your intellectual property and you got to manufacture it in China. And so what ends up happening is over and over again, from Boeing to uh, other companies, they go there, they make the stuff, then a local partner discovers how to make it as well. Then they make a competing product and then they drive us out of the country because they make it at a much lower price and um, 
you know, do the same thing over there that they would otherwise do um, in their exports to other places as well. Yeah, it's just it's just not a level playing field. And I think I think uh, I mean, going back, you weren't serving when when the WTO agreement was put in place and China was kind of welcomed into the global trading community. But looking back, was that kind of a, a, would you call it a mistake or should we have just uh, taken better measures uh, to uh, protect American interests better since it was uh, put in place? I think that we should have done a better job of of making sure that we did not divorce, for instance, human rights abuses or other concerns from uh, the way in which their goods and services are treated in our economy. I think that basically we gave them most preferred treatment, meaning the lowest tariffs possible, even though we didn't necessarily see a change in their behavior. The whole premise, and it was Democrats and Republicans, by the way, it's not just one person or group of people who are to blame, but Democrats and Republicans made a bet. The bet was we will uh, open up our economy to their goods and services, and eventually that would mean uh, a more free enterprise and capitalistic system in China, and most importantly, more freedom for its people. And that did not pan out. No, it didn't. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Heartland Politics on WVIK Quad Cities NPR. This is your host, Robin Johnson. My guest today is Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, uh, a very I'm very pleased to have him on. Uh, he's a rising star in Congress. He's the ranking member of the House Select Committee on the CCP, which stands for China Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party, a uh, very important issue. And he's been discussing with us uh, some of their work, their mission. Um, I'm curious, one thing that hit me right off, it, was there a certain purpose that the committee was named uh, on Chinese Communist Party rather than just China? Yeah, because, you know, not all of China is a Chinese, Chinese Communist Party. And um we want to make it very clear that this committee is not about the Chinese people. It's not about Chinese origin people or Asian Americans. Um, our quarrel is not with these people, and we should never uh, engage in anti-Asian hate or xenophobia or anything like that when we talk about this competition. Our quarrel is with the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, and its paramount leader, Xi Jinping. and um, And that's why... It was very important uh, for us to, uh, you know, use the the words or phraseology that ended up being the title of this committee. Kind of a long name, kind of like my own, but uh, that's the that's the way it goes. Now we, we've we've you know beaten up on them here quite a bit, but on the other hand, uh, for our region, as you know, Illinois, Iowa, the Midwest, we're the breadbasket of the world. China's the largest market for U.S. agricultural and related exports. Um, we can't just uh, have a total trade war here. Uh, I, and I don't think you, you're you saying that. Uh, Chairman Gallagher isn't either. But how do we balance this, Congressman? It's hard, I know. But how do we balance the desire to crack down when, when they're, they're, the word isn't too strong to say they're cheating, but yet we also want to maintain markets for our agricultural goods? Uh, how, do we, how do we do that? Any thoughts? Carefully, my friend, I think that's <laughs> the best way to do it. I, look, I think we have to be pragmatic. We're, we're Illinoisans. 
Uh, I'm from Peoria, and uh, uh, as a as a Peorian at heart, um, I know that common sense and and being pragmatic is the best way to go. Always, I think in this particular situation, we absolutely want to continue to sell our soybeans and corn and our agricultural products, and they are willing buyers, as you know. At the same time, um, there have to be some rules of the road for trade, and so. I, I, I think that we can do both. And I think that interestingly, Xi Jinping now uh, knows that his economy is in trouble. And unless and until he does a better job of calming tensions, economic tensions, not just with the US, but really with the rest of the world, he's not gonna be able to repair his own economy. So I think that that is really the, the central issue, which is, Let's continue to trade, but let's do it in a way that adheres to um, an international rules-based system that levels the playing field. With some uh, teeth for uh, enforcement mechanisms, perhaps some better uh, enforcement mechanisms. Yeah, I think with, with regard to enforcement mechanisms, you're absolutely right. And I think the best way to do that is it has to be multilateral. It has to be with our friends and partners and allies, because what ends up happening is if we go it alone, they just play us off against each other. And when they play us off against each other, we are a lot weaker when we act together than um, we, we pose a united uh, group of people uh, and entities that uh, forces them to listen. You mentioned earlier uh, the, the human rights issue, which is an important component of this. Can you discuss that a little bit and, uh, and the concerns we have in, in, in Washington and across the country of forced labor being used uh, and, and how China treats uh, some of its some of its own people? Yes, sir. Thank you for asking this very important question. Um, many of your listeners probably already know this. But there is a genocide happening in Xinjiang province, which is a northwest province in China. 23 million Uyghur people are having their identities erased, essentially. Um, two to three million are in concentration camps as we speak. 70,000 women, upwards of 70,000 women have been forcibly sterilized. Hundreds of thousands of children have been separated from their parents. And... Uh, this is absolutely uh, an abomination, but it's happening today in 2024. And so uh, one of the offshoots of that is that they, uh, the CCP has used basically some of the people that are in these concentration camps or internment camps. They call them re-education camps, by the way. Um, they, they use them as slave labor and cheap labor to produce an array of products, everything from solar panels to uh, harvesting cotton to making garments uh, to you name it. it it's, a, it's a very lucrative business for the Chinese. We have something called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which basically was a bipartisan accomplishment. And that act prohibits the importation of any goods that could be uh, traced back to Xinjiang because there's a presumption that it was made with slave labor. We have to fight that. And, and one, of the, one of the investigations we launched was with, with regard to uh, Xi'an and Timu. I, I'm sure that your listeners 
are probably aware of these because they their ads pop up on your phone all the time. These are fast fashion outlets. And one of our concerns is, is that they've sold some goods in the past and maybe even now that involves slave labor from Xinjiang uh, in violation of our law. So we're, we're looking into this and other issues, but we got to do a better job of enforcing these laws. I wanted, you just mentioned something I wanted to ask too, uh, I, and I deal with this all the time. I just got hacked recently, these cyber attacks. Uh, are, are we doing enough to prevent these? I mean, the, these bad actors around the world, uh, well, even some in the United States, uh, and especially they prey on the elderly. Uh, are, are measures being taken to maybe toughen this up a little bit? Because it doesn't seem like what we got now is working very well. No, and this is one of the kind of persistent complaints of my constituents and indeed most Illinoisans. Um, people's identities are stolen. Uh, believe it or not, uh, there were cyber attacks that led to PPP loans uh, being fraudulently given to Chinese entities that pretended to be uh, American entities after they stole their identities. Um, one of the most malicious things that we've recently learned about, we just had a hearing about this, is that uh, the CCP has pre-positioned malware in certain critical pieces of infrastructure in the United States. I'm talking about like water utilities, electric grids, port infrastructure, uh, not to collect intelligence, but to potentially damage or destroy that infrastructure in the event of conflict. And so now there's an active effort to go and hunt the malware, destroy it, and then also to replace some of the um, you know, outdated servers and routers and other equipment that allows for these attacks to happen. We've got to do a much better job of this. Um, I, I can say more about this, but um, you know, there's a joke. My wife's an anesthesiologist. The joke is that we both put people to sleep. So I, I, I might put <laughs> your listeners to sleep in about 10 seconds if I keep talking about this. Well, we'll we'll have you back to discuss this more. I got a couple more questions. We're we yes, got sir. about four or five minutes left here. Um, two things, uh, Congressman. Uh, your your committee issued 150 policy recommendations to the win the economic competition. Um, I'm not going to ask you to list all 150. What are, what are the top two or three that you think are most important? I think that one of them has to be upgrading the skills of our workforce to to be prepared for technologies of the future. Um, so one of the things that I've focused on in Congress is skills-based uh, career technical, or it's been called vocational education for the two thirds of Americans who don't have a four-year college degree. And what we know is that we, we need to radically increase the number of people who can work in artificial intelligence, who can work in data science, who can work in quantum computing in the future, but we don't have the people to do it. So how do we upskill our current um, high school uh, and, and, and people out of high, high school to basically uh, be prepared for these jobs in the future? So that's one thing. The second is um, we have to fix our high-skilled legal immigration system. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the son of legal immigrants, and I I feel very strongly that as a country of immigrants and as a country, uh, we benefit greatly from having people who bring skills and talents to this country to fill any number of positions and innovate here in the U.S. And we're not doing a good job of fixing the problems that we have in that legal architecture. 
Finally, I think we have to invest in basic science and research in technologies of the future on a bipartisan basis. Again, all of these recommendations are in that report. On a bipartisan basis, we said that we have to fully fund NIST. We have to fully fund the NSF, National Science Foundation, as well as other agencies and departments and national labs that do that basic research that our companies later commercialize uh, so that we can be prosperous. And um, we just need to do a better job of that. We need to be more um, persistent and uh, methodical about this. And again, I, I don't want the US government to be picking winners and losers, but we do need to get in the uh, business of continuing to fund the basic research that unfortunately, you know, the, that's just something the private sector is not necessarily gonna take on. I'm going to ask you one more question, but first I want to give our, our listeners the website. Uh, if you're interested in this, go to uh, select committee on the ccp.house.gov. Uh, select committee on the ccp is all one word.house.gov to learn more about this. It's very, very important. Uh, final question, Congressman. You mentioned um, you mentioned Taiwan in here, and uh, we're we're uh, you, you know the funding bill is trying to get through. Taiwan has one of the largest chip makers in the world. That's a huge issue here, and with the threats China's making in the South China Sea, um, I mean this is scary. Uh, with the, the possibility of going to war, and I don't want to alarm anybody, but I mean this is uh, an important bill that needs to pass with this funding for uh, Taiwan attached to Ukraine and. Uh, et cetera. Is that looking like it might get through the House uh, at this time? I sure hope so. It's not going to be easy, but it's something that, again, if we just put it on the floor, the supplemental appropriations request for uh, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan would command a huge bipartisan vote in favor of it. However, we have some, believe it or not, there are politics happening in, in Congress. And so, um, unfortunately, uh, it may not come to the floor in what's called regular order or regular manner, uh, a regular process, but there are potentially other ways. At the end of the day, the stakes are just too high. We cannot not do this. If we uh, in any way flinch in not continuing to support Ukraine or Taiwan, or for that matter, Israel, that will be taken as a sign of weakness by our adversaries, including Vladimir Putin, as well as Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping is studying this process almost as closely as any American with regard to what's happening in Congress. He's watching it like a hawk. If you, you can't be tough on China and then weak in supporting our allies. Congressman Roger Krishnamurthy, who's the uh, uh, ranking member of the House Select Committee on the CCP, that's Chinese Communist Party, has been our guest today. Some very important work. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much. I know you're very, very busy, but thank you for taking the time, and I know our listeners appreciate it as well. Thank you, sir, and thank you for the, uh, the public service you're rendering and uh, talking about these issues of the day. Listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson. 
a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR.